Well, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for that very nice welcome. My wife, Sarah, as Matt said, we served on staff here for almost five years. And so many of you we saw this morning, it's been good to catch up, maybe see each other's faces for a little bit. But it's, it's been about two and a half years since we were here, a little bit over that, actually. And so a lot of you we've maybe never had the chance to meet before. And then there are a few of you who maybe this is the first time you've ever come to this church or the first time that you've been to church now in, in a few years. And so if that's the case, um, I'm not the normal guy that's up here, but uh, I hope that you find today to be a, a very, Kingsway to be a very welcoming place, uh, a loving place. And I'm just thankful that while Sarah and I were in town to visit family, because we both grew up in Hendricks County, that Matt let me come and uh, preach for him this morning. Uh, I don't know if you found this to be true or not, but I find the holidays to be sort of a double-edged sword. They got this... Uh, kind of dual dynamic that's taking place. On the one hand, uh, you get to be around family and friends, but on the other hand, you get to be around family and friends. <laughs> and so you get together with these people that you know and love really well, and you reminisce, and you tell old stories and jokes, and you laugh, and yet these are also the same people that they know um, what to say, the exact thing to say that just rips open those old wounds and can expose some of those uh, maybe deep and messy places of our heart, like family are the people who they know exactly how to look at you and you know what they're saying even though they're not saying anything, or they can ask that question uh, that sounds innocent if you don't know the backstory, but you know when they ask that question they're actually asking something else and they're, they're trying to take a dig at you in that moment. Like I was talking to one of the staff members here just yesterday and he said, Scott, I don't understand what it is, but it's these people who love us the most and that you love the most that we're able to cut each other the deepest. And so I thought it would be good this weekend as we're kind of right in the, the throes of the holiday season. You're in between um, taking a pause on this series in Revelation that you've been in. You're going to start your Christmas series next weekend to take a weekend and just talk about how do we use words well? And how can we speak to one another, uh, whether it's family or friends or coworkers, in a way that is both um, honoring to God and then also beneficial to the people um, with whom we're conversing. And so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app or whatever you intend to use, if you would, take it and turn to James chapter 3. We're going to be in uh, the book of James, which uh, if Revelation is the last book of the Bible, you've been studying Revelation. This is just a few books before that. And it's been my experience that Revelation uh, has some chapters that are hard to understand. Would you tend to agree? Okay, uh, the laughter uh, would indicate that. It's just, it's just a difficult book, a lot of things that are hard to understand. James 3 is not really hard to understand. Um, I would say it is hard to receive. And what I mean by that is it's going to expose some, um, some dark places within myself and maybe within you. It's, it's something that's difficult to put into practice. And so James chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to make our way down through verse 12. This is how the passage begins. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I want to pause there for just a moment and say, verse 1, James is talking to people like myself and Matt, anyone else who would stand before other people and uh, teach them the Word of God and propose that they are going to show someone the way to follow Jesus. James says God's going to judge people like that more strictly. And so, you know, for a pastor, preacher specifically, this is one of the more sobering verses in the Bible. It says God's going to judge us more strictly than someone else because we stood before others to, to show them the way of Jesus. But in verse 2, James is going to take this and start to expand it so that it applies to everybody sitting in the room today. 
So verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so verse 2, James is starting to expand the application. He's saying, hey, we all stumble a lot of different ways, but then he hones in on this one particular way. He's talking about the tongue, how we speak to one another. And he says in verse 3, he says, he gives an illustration. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So James is simply making an observation from life. He says, you could put a, a very small instrument into the mouth of a wild animal. You can steer that wild animal wherever you want it to go. People have constructed these large ships, he says. You can put a, a small instrument on a ship. You can steer, steer it through the, the roughest of seas. And then he says in verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member of the body, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire itself by hell. Well, James, tell us how you really feel about the tongue. It says in verse 7, For every kind of beast and of bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Have you found this to be true? Verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now James is he's saying a lot of different things here. The idea that he's ultimately driving towards is that our language reveals our allegiance. And I would say this is something you already realize to be true. You see it in the, the sporting world. Now I told you that I, I grew up in Hendricks County. I grew up a, a huge um, IU basketball fan. Um, and then I spent three years at Indiana University uh, in Bloomington, and so again, still a big IU fan. And then the Lord has a, such a sense of humor that he sent me to be a pastor in Kentucky. <laughs> and what I have found is because they have no professional sports team or anything else to root for, you got about 5% of the population who roots for IU or for some other team that are outside of the state, Alabama, Auburn, it can vary. You've got about 15% of the population that roots for the University of Louisville, and then you've got 80% or so of the population that is part of Big Blue Nation. All right? They love the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And you can tell it very quickly having a conversation with someone. doesn't matter what you're talking about, the weather, politics, religion, and you can be talking at some point and they're going to say, go cats. That's what they say. They got a little bit of that twang and then they say, go cats. And then uh, you know where their allegiance lies. In fact, this was driven home to me pretty powerfully recently because my friend Jeremy, who's at the church, uh, he and his wife went to IU. They've got uh, two daughters. One of them now is probably about seven or eight. But when she was five, um, she's spent her whole life growing up in Kentucky. 
And Jeremy was driving through Indiana. He was close to Bloomington, and he said, you know what? This is the time to, to teach my daughter, indoctrinate her maybe, into the, the glory of Indiana basketball. And so he, he pulled aside, and they went to Bloomington. They stopped at Assembly Hall, and they get out, and he's, he's walking her through the lobby and showing her trophies and talking about the history and pictures and you know, going to Cook Hall, which is the practice facility, showing her around. And so all of a sudden, they're on this, this self-guided tour, lo and behold, who walks out of the offices but Tom Cream? And uh, you can have varying opinions upon whether or not he's a great basketball coach and you know, thoughts on that, but from what I understand, he's a fantastic man and a wonderful Christian guy. He goes to Sherwood Oaks Christian Church um, there in Bloomington, and so Tom said, hey, well, you know, who are you? Are you from out of town? And so he says, well, let me show you around. And so Tom spends about 45 minutes just taking them through parts that they would never have seen you know, without him taking him on the store, took him back to the offices. He took them um, into parts where they could see some memorabilia. Then he took him down on the floor of Assembly Hall. And so they're walking around on the court, and he's pointing out different parts of the stands, and they stand underneath the, the five banners that kind of give it the gentle sway. And after they spent some time there, um, there was a student manager walking by, and, and Jeremy, my friend, said, hey, Tom, I realize um, you've taken a lot of time out of your schedule for us. Like, I know you're a busy man. If we could just get a picture with you, you know, we'll be on our way. And so Tom said, sure. And so they put uh, Emma, the, the daughter, in the middle. And then so Jeremy stood on, on one side of his daughter who came to show the, the glory of IU basketball. And Tom Crean standing on, on the other side of Emma, giving this tour all around. And the student manager says, okay, Emma, on three, don't say cheese, say go IU. And so he says, one, two, three. And the sweet little girl says, go cats. <laughs> and so they have this picture now. It's, the girls smiling real big. Jeremy and Tom are just staring at one another <laughs> like this. Like, who is this girl we've brought in? Our, our language, it reveals our allegiance. And it's true with sports. It's true with politics. It's true if you get into a, a debate with somebody, you take different sides of an argument. You can tell where people stand very quickly. Another way to say this is that um, our words reveal our loyalties. And then our loyalties uh, begin to shape our identity. And so you think about how that begins to play out in life with what James says in chapter 3. James says, if you're a person who praises God, so one moment you're singing to God just like we were a, a few moments ago, and then the next moment you turn around and you curse someone who's created in the image and likeness of God, James says, then you have a bit of an identity crisis. Your words do not match who you purport to be. And this is a, a very big deal. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 tells us how big of a deal it is. It says this. It says, we loved, or we love because he first loved us. Speaking about God, we love other people because God first loved us. It says, if anyone says, I love God, so notice again, the, this is a language thing. You say, hey, I love God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now, the Bible says, um, if you don't love the person who's standing right in front of you, or you don't love the person who is sitting across the aisle, or you don't love the person who lives across the street, or who works at the next cubicle or in the next office, if you can't love that person whom you can see, 
it's going to be downright impossible to love the God whom you cannot see. And you start thinking about how this applies to all sorts of areas of life, and it gets pretty sticky real fast. You could start saying things like, if you can't love the family that's been displaced from their home by a war that they have nothing to do with, you can't look at them who you can see and show compassion to them, how can you say that you love a God whom you cannot see? It gets personal real fast. The Bible says that if, if you love God, you're going to love other people. Jesus told us the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he said the next commandment is equal to this. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And yet James makes this observation in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And yet they are so. They're so in my life. And I'm fairly certain they are also so in your life, maybe more often than we'd want to admit. See, if a person can't go 24 hours without drinking coffee, you'd say they were addicted to caffeine, right? Right? If a person can't go 24 hours without smoking, without chewing, you would probably say they were addicted to, to nicotine. In the same way, then, if you're a person who can't go 24 hours without gossip, if you can't go 24 hours without tearing somebody else down, can't go 24 hours without telling a, a crude joke or, or getting a dig in that, that makes you feel superior to someone else or bragging to someone else about the things you've accomplished, then we should probably say that we're addicted to, to poor speech. And what James is saying is that this poor speech, it doesn't just hurt the people around us. Like, it's doing damage to us and to our relationship with God. Because words are never just words. They have a power in and of themselves. And so, thankfully, the, the Bible gives us some instruction about what God-honoring speech looks like. And so we got this passage here in James chapter 3, which kind of talks about the difficulty that we have controlling our tongues. There's another passage in a book called Ephesians. It's written by a guy named Paul. He was an early leader in the church. And in chapter 4, he says this in verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so in this verse, Paul gives us sort of four practical pieces of advice for how we use God-honoring speech or what God-honoring speech looks like. Number one, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, corrupting talk can refer to a lot of different things. It's any time that you um, are damaging another person, you're demeaning them, um, or maybe you would even say you're, you're stealing their innocence. So when you say things like, you're never going to amount to anything, you were a mistake. Have you ever thought about just about moving away and leaving all of us alone? How about you don't call? How about you don't come next Thanksgiving? How about you don't come back for Christmas? You're fat. You're ugly. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You're the one responsible for all the pain that we're going through in this moment. Paul says, don't even let this type of stuff come out of your mouth. 
He said it's corrupting talk. It will ruin a person's life. It will destroy their faith. He says instead, let the talk talk come out, but only such as is good for building up. Let your speech be encouraging to others, not to tear them down, but to build them up. Now, I need you to understand, this does not mean that you can't have difficult conversations with people. This does not mean that if you're an employer, you can't have a hard conversation with an employee about performance. It does not mean that if your spouse is doing some things that are damaging the family, that you can't say, listen, honey, or, or listen, bear, or listen, like, there's some things that we've got to work through. Like what you're doing, the way, the way you're working, the hours that you're working, the way you're speaking to the kids, the way you're speaking to me, like this can't continue. It doesn't mean you can't have these hard conversations. It doesn't mean you can't discipline your children. What it means, it means if you're a leader in any environment, family, church, work, like you're going to have to have hard conversations about every single day, right? What this is saying is that when you're going to have a difficult conversation, you go into that difficult conversation with the attitude and the spirit, and it's got to be a prayerful spirit if you're going to succeed in it, where the goal is to have both people come out stronger on the other end. That does not happen by accident. That happens through intentionality and through prayer to, to build other people up. You may have found in your life, if you're a natural encourager, that if you'll encourage people on a regular basis, when you go to share hard things with them, they're more willing to receive those hard things in that moment because they know this is not the spirit that you come at them with all the time. And so maybe they should listen. So maybe you should ask yourself some questions. Like if you want to build other people up with your words, like do I encourage enough? Like when's the last time that you wrote a note to your spouse just to tell them how much you appreciate them and how much you love them when it wasn't their birthday or it wasn't your anniversary, or it wasn't Christmas, like the days where you have to do it, because if you don't, like it's... But you just wrote it because it was a Wednesday. And you wanted them to know that you saw that thing that they did, or you, you caught that gesture that they did where they went out of their way to, to help you out or help someone else out. When's the last time you told your kids the good things that they do and not just the things they mess up? The last time you wrote a note to someone's teacher or to someone's coach or to a, a small group leader, to a pastor, you said, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. You have no idea how far small words can go to, to build someone else up in a difficult time. And so Paul says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that's good for building others up. And then he adds this, as fits the occasion. Now, we already know um, that some conversation is appropriate in some context and not others, Correct. Maybe the best example is when there are kids in the room. And so someone starts to say something, and then someone just kind of gives the wink, and they say, there are kids in the room. And everybody knows that means that you should tone down what you're about to say, you should stop that conversation. But this is also true at times with adults, right? There are some conversations that are appropriate with family that are not appropriate with strangers. Or appropriate with immediate family, but not with the rest of the family around. Or they're appropriate in the office, but they're not appropriate outside of the office because they deal with sensitive information and not everyone has the context to understand what's being talked about. So you shouldn't have the conversation in that moment. It doesn't fit the occasion. There are conversations that should be had face-to-face and not over the phone and not over email and definitely not over text. Paul's telling us that a wise person not only says the right thing, they say the thing in the right way. 
And then he adds this one other thing. He says, after it fits the occasion, he says, so that it would give grace to those who hear. And so this last challenge, it, considers, it, it makes us consider um, not only the individual that we're speaking with or the group that we're speaking with, but anyone who might happen to hear uh, the message that we're sharing. They hear it through the grapevine. They hear it because the email was forwarded to them. They read the tweet, like whatever it's going to be. Like this just ratchets up the bar in terms of like what wise communication looks like, especially in regards to social media. Because sometimes you put something out there, you intend it for a particular audience, but it can be accessed by anyone, anytime, anywhere, forever, and it's not always the best thing to say. And so he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only that's good for building other people up as it fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. This is sort of his um, step-by-step method for wise communication. And if you want to think about wise communication as a matrix, um, this is something that I've shared with my church on a couple different occasions because I just think it's this important. Um, I get it some from Ephesians 4, James 3, but a lot of it comes from Proverbs. And we'll look at some of the Proverbs that talk about wise speech in a few moments. But the Bible says wise speech is something that both honors God and it benefits other people. Anything else the Bible calls foolish talk. So if you say something that um, benefits someone else, it inspires them, it encourages them, it makes them feel good about themselves, they feel like they can run through a brick wall or, or conquer that next task, but it's dishonoring to God, foolish. It shouldn't come out of your mouth. But in the same way, if you say something that is that is honoring to God. It's full of truth. Like it's biblically right, like it needs to be said, but there's no grace in it whatsoever. And you just run over other people while you're communicating it. The Bible says that's foolish too. And of course it's foolish if it's both dishonoring to God and harmful to other people. The Bible says wise communication, beneficial to others, honoring to God. When you hear honoring to God, you think, um, I could say this in the presence of Jesus and I wouldn't think twice about it. When you hear beneficial to others, you think it's, again, it's building them up rather than unnecessarily tearing them down. And again, does not mean that you cannot criticize, does not mean you can't have hard conversations, just make sure the criticism is constructive criticism. It was Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great poet, who said, um, criticism should be a, a southerly breeze, not an easterly wind. He's saying there should be some warmth to it. There should be some life to it. It shouldn't just come in and, and knock people over and make them feel worse about themselves. When you have something hard to say, remember the person that you are talking to is created in the image of God just like you and loved by God just like you and in need of grace just like you. So James says, brothers and sisters, you can't praise God one moment and curse, curse a brother or sister in the next moment. These things should not be so. So this tongue, is this, it's this small member of our bodies, yet it has this incredible power. James says that it's going to direct the course of your life for good or for ill. It will, it will stain your reputation if you're not careful. It will poison your relationships. It can and has ruined careers. It will tear your family apart. There's an illustration of, of this in a, a book, a movie. It's turned into a movie called The Joy Luck Club. Anybody seen the the Joy Luck Club, or read it. It's about this, this young girl. Um, she had, in her words, the ability to see the secrets of the chessboard. So she became a, a chess champion by the age of eight. And you would think, well, this is a great thing, you know. Um, I recognize my gift at a young age. I'm getting accolades for it. People appreciate me for it. Um, problem was, she had this overbearing 
mother who was living vicariously through her daughter, trying to fulfill emptiness within herself through what her daughter accomplished. And so she was just always um, difficult with her daughter. She was not uh, giving her the love and attention she needs, especially at eight years old. And so uh, finally one day the daughter speaks back to her mom. And the mom at first responds um, by stonewalling her, gives her that icy silent treatment. And many of you know from your own experience that sometimes the silent treatment hurts just as much as a hateful word. And so first she stonewalls her, but then after a while she, she lets her daughter have it. She says, well, you were, you were good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. And then this was her daughter's response. Her daughter said, what she said to me was like a curse. This power I had, this belief in what I'd been given, I could actually feel it draining away. I could feel myself becoming so ordinary. And all the secrets that I once saw, I couldn't see anymore. All I could see were my mistakes and my weaknesses, and the best part of me disappeared. A church, our tongues have the ability to make the best part of other people disappear. Some of you know it, again, because you've watched or felt part of yourself wilt away at someone else's careless words. Or you have delivered words to someone else that you love and watched the best part of them slowly begin to die. This is a sobering truth, the power that our words have. But the good news is that, that our words have the ability to hurt other people. They also have the ability to heal. And so Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15, has a lot to say about what wise wisdom looked like. It says this in Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what this bit of wisdom is saying is that if in an intense moment, you will die to the need to make yourself appear smart or to be right or to get in that last dig because you want to have and need to have the last word, and instead you'll give a gentle response, you can diffuse a situation very quickly. It says a few verses later, Proverbs 15, verse 4. It says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. That means if you regularly feel the need to criticize your spouse or to demean your children or to promote yourself to your boss or to tell a dirty joke or any of these type of things, you should sometimes do the exercise where you take a step back and you just ask the question, why? Why do I feel the need to say these things? Why do I feel the need to tell this joke? Why do I feel the need to put down other people when I'm the one who's depressed and I have things that I need to deal with? Like, it's important that we examine why we say what we say because Proverbs again tells us this in chapter 18. It says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. So what it's saying is what comes out of your mouth is reflective of something that's going on much deeper inside. And Jesus told us the same thing. Jesus said that what comes out of your mouth first reside somewhere within your heart. And so that means if you are having a hard time controlling your tongue, you got a bigger issue of that you don't know what's going on deep within your soul. you got something else that you don't have control over, and you need to find a way to shine some light on that and let healing come. Otherwise, it's going to do some serious destruction in your life and the lives of the people around you. There's this business... Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe a couple of you have heard of it. Um, it's a German-based business. 
who has tried to help people with this, try to help people um, expose maybe this, this darker place of their life so that they can not hurt other people with their words. Uh, if, you're, if you're of German ancestry, forgive me when I butcher this word here in a second, um, but it's called Schimpfloss. And Schimpfloss is German for swear away. And so what it is, it's a, it's a hotline that for $2 a minute, you can call and you can speak to a live operator and you can swear and you can yell and you can rant and you can curse. And the whole goal is that you get all this out of your system. And when you get home, you don't want to take it out on the people that you have to live with at your house. And some of you may be going, what was the name of that? Again? Schimpf loss have two S's in loss or just one S. But, but we know, even though... Um, we know why someone would create a business like that and why it's been wildly successful. You know from experience, right, that that doesn't work. Because if it worked, we would just go on rants all the time, and once we went on a rant, we'd be fine for the rest of the day. But experience tells us that, that Proverbs is right. The words of a man's mouth are, are deep waters. They reflect something going on deep within us. Experience tells us that Jesus was right. What comes out of our mouth first resided for a while deeper within our heart. Experience tells us James was right. And that means that a tongue is this uncontrollable fire. And if you give a spark some air or you give a spark, you pour some gasoline on it, it doesn't snuff it out, does it? It makes it into this uncontrollable fire that's going to go and, and burn and cause destruction with others. We have to be able to get control of our tongue, not just for the people around us, but for ourselves. And to let God do some work within us in those deep places that are hurting in this moment. We have to find time for silence and find time for solitude and let God shed his grace into our lives because silence doesn't simply teach us that words are powerful and solitude doesn't teach us simply to control our tongues. What it does is it creates space in our life for God to reveal those broken places within us that cause us to lash out at others. And that's why missionary Jim Elliott once wrote this. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noises, hurry, crowds. He concluded by saying Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. James 3 isn't just about you not hurting others with your words. It's about identifying and healing the hurts that you have because, as you know, it's hurt people who hurt people. So when James says that God wants to tame your tongue... It's not just that God wants to deal with you as a disciplinarian. It's that God wants to, to shine the grace of Jesus into those, those broken places within our own heart. And if you look at the life of Jesus, like what amazes me as much as anything else is that Jesus Christ knew how to hold his tongue, even through all that he went through. And if you look at that even in terms of the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23, this is when they're, they're taking Jesus' life. And I want you to listen to how Jesus responds. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And so they're unlawfully, they're unrightfully killing the Son of God. Jesus is forgiving them in this moment. It doesn't stop there. It says, the people cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. 
It says, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. So Jesus in this moment, he's being insulted as he hangs on the cross, naked, dying for their sins. And when he was insulted, he kept silent. And it's safe to say that if Christ, that Christ could not have completed his mission if he did not first control his tongue. Because if he would have just let them have it in that moment, what they deserved to hear from him, he wouldn't have been able to follow through with his mission of saving the world. He could not have completed his, his mission if he did not first control his tongue. So in a moment when everyone was heaping criticism upon him and speaking hateful words against him, Jesus had to be tempted to justify himself. And he had to be tempted to call down curses upon them, but instead he kept silent. And when he did speak, he spoke words of grace. And if Jesus spoke words of grace to the people who were crucify him that day, he's got words of grace for you this morning. He's got words of grace that he wants to speak into your life. Let his words direct your words. Let his life Direct the course of your life and what you say to others, not your anger, not your bitterness, not your fear, not your regret or your resentment or all the things that you haven't accomplished that you wanted. Don't let those things direct your words. Let the words of Jesus direct your words. Because if you found in your life that the other people's words have hurt you or that you have used your words to hurt others, you need to understand that the only thing more powerful than, than the words that we use with other people are the words that God speaks to us through the gospel. And that Jesus can take those broken pieces of your life and he can turn them around and redeem them and redeem those relationships if you will just turn your eyes back towards him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, um, we want to be the type of people who honor you with our words how we speak to our families, how we speak to coworkers, how we speak to people at church, our neighbors. But Lord, we confess here uh, as an entire body, because there's not one of us who are innocent of this, we confess that we do not know how to tame our tongues on our own. And we recognize this morning, maybe uh, for the first time or maybe a new uh, the truth of James chapter 3 and how destructive our tongues can be. And Lord, we ask in this moment that you would uh, shine your grace into those dark parts of our heart that cause us to lash out in those ways, say the things that we say. You would begin to restore our lives. And as you restore our lives and our souls, you would then help us to restore relationships. You would help us to restore families. You would help us to restore friendships. And you would help our words to be words of life rather than words of destruction. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this without you. We need you to come do this in this moment through the power of Jesus. And so we thank you for his grace and your love for us in this moment. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all God's people said.